Um, so this past um, uh, last few days, the our district, so we are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. Okay, that's where our alliance name comes from. Um, and we are part of a, a, a world alliance, the Christian Missionary Alliance, um, that started, it started back in the late 1800s. Um, if you've been here long enough, I've shared kind of the history of the alliance. Um, then it became the alliance, the, the Christian Missionary Alliance, back in the 70s, um, when two different groups that worked hand-in-hand hand with each other integrated and became one denomination. Well, this past week, they had a little um, get-together of Arizona pastors. And so we went out there, um, and, you know, it was for pastors' wives, and uh, so that you can get connected with other, other pastors in the district. And so we got to connect with some people. We have one church that we had years ago. They're actually going to come out for a youth event um, at the end of the year. Um, and it was great to see them. We got to see some of our missionaries, which we haven't had in a while. They're missionaries to the Navajos, um, named the Haskins. Um, I'd like to get them back out here. Um, it was a good time. Me and Marika got to sleep. <laughs> we got to walk around Wickenburg. It was really nice. Um, but we met this one group from um, from the Navajos. It was uh, they all worked together. There's three pastors up at, in the Navajo Nation. Uh, these particular ones, um, their names are Dan and Wanda, and I can't remember exactly where they're from. There's something mountain. Do you remember? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but it's one of the mountains up there, and they're away from everything. And so we, the first night, we sat with both of these couples and just listening to what was going on. And so that's one of the reasons um, we're actually passing around a card today to encourage uh, the Haskins um, because they need encouragement. I want to tell you about Wanda and Dan, though. Um, they have been ministering up in the Navajos. She, Wanda has been there her whole life um, in a really secluded area. To, they don't have, at their house, they don't have electricity or water. Um, at the church, they don't have, they have electricity, but they don't have water or bathrooms or anything like that. Um, they, they're kind of like quartzite in the sense that a lot of their people are very, um, very, uh, how do I say this? Wise. In years. Um, they're an older population, and they, I was asking about their their um, their area, and he said there's a lot of really young children who stay with grandparents, um, and then there are really old people. Yeah, this is how they describe them. I'm not describing you guys as old, um, but they have older people, and they don't have a lot of people in the middle because there's nothing for people in that midsection um, on the reservation, and they're so detached from everyone that it's it's just miles and miles of no one and we were talking and they were they were talking about being discouraged because one of the things that has happened over the last year and a half is because of the whole covid thing um they've one third of their congregation has passed away um, because they're in that older age group and so they were really discouraged and you know, just listening to them, I thought, these are, you know, we think that we have it hard, right? Um, but in reality, there are people that are having it so much harder than we are. And so it was a good time to, we, we got refreshed, we got 
Well, sort of refresh. We had to get here on Saturday, and then we had to fix everything. So um, that was nice. Um, but we're talking about today this idea of faithfulness. Wanda, her father was a pastor up there. She's now married to the pastor who's leading the church. Um, so she's been faithful for all these years. And she is probably at least in her late 60s, early 70s. And so she's been there constantly. And it's a place, and one of the reasons they came, actually these two Navajo couples, they came to see if the Alliance actually cared about them. And so um, our, our district is... Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico. And the people in Arizona kind of get left to the, the back end, and even more so these Navajo ministers. And so we want to talk about faithfulness today. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at the first 24 verses. And as we're looking through these, um, we're going to continue our, just to let you know, we're going to continue our summer series into October, about halfway through October, and then we're going to switch into our, um, our short series. We always do short series throughout the wintertime because it's easier for people. Um, and so we're going to switch into our short series um, through the wintertime. But as we've been walking through Matthew, we've been talking about how Matthew sets up his gospel in five sections. And they're all centered, or they're, each section is around a sermon by Jesus. And so the first one, everyone knows the Sermon on the Mount. You know, that's a big one, right? Well, there are sermons sprinkled throughout. And so last week we talked about this, the Sermon of the Little Commission, where Jesus sent out the twelve. And so in the first section of the Gospel of Matthew, we talked about how it could all be summed up in this, this idea of a disciple's identity is wrapped up in Jesus. Okay? So that means that if we are going to be disciples of Jesus, everything about us has to be wrapped up in who He is. We can't save ourselves. We can't hope to walk the walk that God has called us to. We can't do anything outside of Jesus. And until we realize that, we will never be a disciple of Christ. We will never be a follower the way God intends us if we think, oh, I can do this on my own. We have to realize that our identity as disciples is wrapped up from the moment we accept Jesus as our Savior to the moment we go with Him into eternity. We have to walk as He would have us walk. And so that's the first section. The second section that we talked about and we finished up last week is this idea that um, we as disciples cannot be tethered. Okay, We can't be... Um, holding on to this world. Just like when Jesus talked about how he doesn't have a den or a nest, you know, he's using this poetic language to talk about how there's no place for him. The God who comes down, in fact, John talks about in John 1, this idea that God, Jesus comes down and his very own rejected him. And so because of that, Jesus doesn't have a home with his creation. And so he's calling people into his presence and then at the end, he will recreate, and that will be now his creation can be at home with him. And so we have to realize as disciples, we can't be tethered to the, to the world, yet at the same time, God's at work. 
And so we need to be at work with them. We need to be doing things. We can't just sit back and say, well, someone else is going to do it. We have to say, as Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, okay, Lord, send me. Okay, we have to have that. And that might look different for different people, right? Not all of us are going to Zambuzi, okay? It's not a real place, I don't think. Um, we're not going off into the jungles or things. Sometimes what God calls us to is just to pray for our neighbor. You know, to, to do that one kind act, to say that one encouraging word to people, to point others to Christ. And so, but we have to be at work in God's salvation work. We have to be doing whatever he's called us to do. And so those, so we talked for 19 weeks to what I just summed up in less than four minutes, okay? That's how much work we've put into understanding what's actually going on, all right? So we're going to do chapter 11 today, and we're going to be looking at the faithfulness that Christ calls us into. So, Matthew chapter 11, we're going to read the first 19 verses, and then we'll jump down and we'll read the the second um, five. All right, so here we go. After Jesus had finished instructing his disciples... He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on my account. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there, are, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied unto John, until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who has come, he who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, we sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say there is a, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. So we're going to stop right there. Because these, or there, oh, it has a different translation up there, deeds. And that's where we, we need to start with. What's interesting here is this, this section begins and ends with John. This whole little area. It begins with John in the in the prison and it will end when we get there with john's death and so those are some of those kind of we call them context clues to help us realize where things begin and end well there's smaller context clues in here it starts out with this idea that in verse two he says when john heard 
in prison what Christ was doing. Okay, so John hears what's going on with Jesus, and then it ends with, but wisdom is proved right. And that says by her deeds, right? Both begin and end with this idea of work or action or deed. What's Jesus doing? Okay, now what are we supposed to take from this action? And so you have John in this position. I don't know if you've ever been in a position in your life where you're like, man, I just don't think what I'm doing is worth it. Yeah, that's where John is. John is in prison. So he was out there. He's having, he was having probably the, the greatest ministry anyone. It was, he's a Billy Graham of his time. Okay? Just people are coming to him left and right. People of all different backgrounds. He's baptizing. People are knowing him for his name of what he's doing. And then he points to Jesus. He's like, this is the guy that you're supposed to follow. And not too long after, he's put in prison. And he hears about what's going on with Jesus, and he has this question, are you who I think you are? Right? Jesus, I always think about it like this, are you worth it? Are you worth me dying? Are you worth me being here right now? Are you worth it, Jesus? You know, and so he sends out his disciples for a little bit of encouragement. And what does Jesus say? He starts telling the people, telling the disciples of John, you tell them what, what's happening. So John's hearing it, and Jesus is saying, you guys relay that it's actually happening. The deaf are here, the dead are raised. And he starts naming off all these things. The gospel is preached. So go back to John and tell them what you have, what, tell them, him what you have seen. So that he can be encouraged. And then it says, as they're leaving. Okay, so as they're leaving, Jesus gives a little bit more. He starts talking about how John's the greatest of any person has ever lived. I mean, think about that for a second. You have to put that in the context of all of Israel's history. Jesus isn't saying that, man, this guy's really a good guy. And he's my best friend. He's someone I can you know, confide in. He's not saying any of that. He's saying John's the greatest. Well, who, who is he being compared to? Everyone. He's being compared to Daniel, who got to you know, have a night with lions where they didn't eat him. You know, he, he was with, put up there with someone like David, who was the king of Israel, who was called a man after God's own heart. He's up there with Adam, who literally walked with God in the garden. You know, he's up there with Moses, who gave the law, and who the whole of Israel looks to as the pinnacle of closeness to God. And Jesus says, John is the greatest. I mean, think about the, the encouraging word that that is. John's the greatest who's ever lived. And yet, Jesus adds something to that. He says, but the least in the kingdom is still greater. Think about what that means. So, going through this this week, and then I'm talking to Dan and Wanda from the Navajo Nation, and as they're talking, I'm thinking this in my mind. 
you're greater. You're greater than John, who heralded Jesus coming to earth. That his ministry was starting. You're greater. Like I didn't tell them this. I was thinking it. Yeah, I was thinking you are greater because you're out there. No, no one knows your name. You're not going to be the next Billy Graham. You're not going to be the. You know, you're not going to find their book in the Christian bookstore that sells a million copies. Yet they're greater than John. I think that is something that we really have to grasp from this, is Jesus saying, no matter where you're at, you're feeling the least, you're great in the kingdom because you don't have to be great in the world. It's that summation of everything that has been brought up to this point, right? We talked about the identity being, if we are disciples, that we are identified in Jesus. If we are supposed to go out, he's sending his disciples out. And then he has this, this revealing to the people that, look, if you are going to be great, it's going to be because you are the least. And that should give us comfort. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, as long as we're doing it for the Lord, we don't have to have a name for ourselves because our name is with Christ. We are great because He is great. And so this idea that God desires faithfulness from His people and not the glamour should really encourage us. I don't have to be the, the greatest. You know, one of the things we talked about, I shared with you um, a few weeks ago, when we do our, if you become a member of the church, we go through this thing called the we won'ts and the we wills. It's a list of how we view success as the church. And one of those we won'ts is we won't view the biggest church as the best church. Our goal is not to have as many numbers as we can. In fact, so the alliance, because it's a denomination, because it has to work within a certain um, you know, area of IRS, 501, you know, all that stuff, they have to keep records. And so they require us to keep records. One of those records is we have to count how many people here are on Sunday. Okay? So you all are a number. Okay? I'm a number. All right? It's just they want us to count and then send it in. Okay? I was telling um, Robert uh, last week, if... If that ever went away, I would not care in the least. Because that's not what it is. It's not about the numbers. Now, I understand why they have to do that. But, it's not about it. Because numbers, this idea of numbers is, the more we have of numbers, the more, the better we are, right? The greater we are. You know, that idea. But if you are working, and we, have, we went to Honduras uh, several years ago, uh, Back when we were, you know, in college, um, we, we went to Honduras and we were at this little, so we were at this, this mission, okay? And we stayed there for, I think it was two months. And I got to preach at the main mission. I was the big wig, you know. Um, and so I got to preach at the, the most people. And then we went 
and we had to go to all these other little places. And the rest of the mission team got to preach at all these other places. And there was one where Marika got to talk. I think there was like three people in the whole building. Do you remember that? I just remember it really long, like as, about as wide as this center aisle. It was about the length of, from the platform up here to the back. And it was hot. It was, the sun was pouring in. And Mark is preaching, she's on fire, you know. And, and there's only like three people there. And this is one of the pastors of this, this missions. It's his, one of his churches. And this is the least these people that no one knows but they are the greatest and so just to understand that it's the faithfulness that God calls us to and not the the big coliseums it's not the big you know being in front of everyone being the one that has the the book it's not about that. It's being faithful. And so, then Jesus, it's funny because in this, um, Matthew turns a dime here, and he, he tells us that then Jesus, so he gives this really encouraging word, and then he, it flips on its head, and he starts indicting people. It become, He says, this is the first thing it says, then Jesus began to denounce. So it goes from a a big encouragement look. You don't have to be the... If you're going to be the greatest, you're going to be the least. You can be, you're going to be greater than this greatest person that ever lived named John. And then he goes into this, this indictment. And it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles have been performed because they did not repent. This goes back to the glamour, right? The, the miracles, people raising from the dead, people being healed left and right, demons being cast out. All these things were happening. And it says, but he denounces them. Why? Because they didn't repent. And he says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. That the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in, Sodom, uh, in Sodom. It would have been. It would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable, bearable, man, for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. You know, we talked about this a while back, that you know, the idea of miracles doesn't save. You can have all the miracles in the world. They can be performed left and right. That has nothing to do with your salvation. Unless we repent, there is no salvation. Unless we come to this point where I need Jesus, because without Him, I'm separated from God, there is no Fixing. And Jesus, this goes into this whole idea. This is followed by this idea of you want to be the greatest? 
Got to be the least. If you're going to be greater than John, you're going to be least in the world's eyes. Because what does the world want? It wants show. It wants pizzazz. Right? It wants the big, the bright, the huge. But what does the world need? It needs repentance. And repentance is quiet. Repentance is small. Faithfulness is small. It's daily grind. It's being in the prison like John was and saying, I will be faithful because this is what God has called me to do. And one thing that we kind of failed as, as leaders of the church, as ministers, is we have made this, this idea that, look, if you just say a little word, you know, say this little prayer and you're good to go. We have deceived. It's repent and follow. Those acts don't understand this. Those are not works. Okay? In biblical understanding of works. Works is I can do it on my own. No, repentance and faithfulness is the opposite. It's I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus, and I need to follow Him in faith. That's faithfulness. And so just this understanding that we can't be about the glitz and glitter, but we have to be real about what God actually is calling us to. We, we have to get past that idea. That my faith is supposed to be, you know, I, I have to be 100% on, 100% of the time. I can't doubt, I can't struggle. We have to leave that behind because you know what? John's in this moment of, I don't know if, this, if what I'm doing is actually what I should have been doing. And you know what Jesus says? He says, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble because of me. Basically, if you're faithful to me, don't stumble. You don't have to worry about it if you're faithful to me. And so, this whole, this whole idea of glamour, that's not what it's about. And if we seek the glamour, we won't be accepted into the kingdom. Not in the sense, what I'm saying there is, if that is our goal, I, just, I want the glamorous, right? I want the miracle, that's all those cities were doing. We want the miracles. We don't want Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't want miracles in your life. That is a byproduct of the kingdom. Where the kingdom goes, miracles happen. Okay? So I'm not saying that we don't want miracles. We don't want healing. We don't, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that that is our goal. We're going to miss the kingdom. Because the kingdom is about Jesus. It's about being in the presence of Christ. It's He died for us so that we may live. But if I just want, Jesus, I just want you to heal me. I just want, I want you know, the good car. I want the big house. I want people to recognize me. I want the money. I want the fame. If that's our goal, then the kingdom is going to be missed. Because the kingdom isn't about the greatest. It's about the least. And when you're the least... You're the greatest. 
And so this whole, this whole idea, and I love it. So in Acts chapter, um, I think that's next, yeah. In Acts chapter 2, you have this situation, and it's this big, big thing happens. Jesus is crucified. He returns, or he resurrects. Forty days later, he's taken, right? Or he's, yeah, in this, in this area, okay? So he's taken. <laughs> Forty days later, we have Pentecost, okay? The Holy Spirit descends onto the church. Um, tongues of fire, all this, it's huge, it's big, it is glamorous. There are people talking in unknown languages. People from all over the Roman Empire is hearing in their own language. And it's a big and glamorous thing. And the response of this from the people that are hearing Peter preach is, and we have it, brothers, what shall we do? Okay, So they ask, what is the response that we are supposed to have to this amazing thing that happens? And what does Peter say? He says, put on your, your jumpsuit with the rhinestones and you go out there and you preach on every stage and you call people to give you a bunch of money and you, you, know, you build the media empire. No, this is what he simply says. Okay? Repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who, whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, He warned them and He pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And then what happens? Those who accepted. So... When it says that, it doesn't say everyone accepted. Peter spoke, and it says those who accepted. So there are people that did and did not. And it says, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's glamorous, right? That's a bunch of people. That would be really nice, right? One day, it's like, I just, you know, if you have the little checkoff sheet, oh, I just checked out 3,000 people. But that wasn't what it was about. It was about the repentance and being identified with Christ in baptism. That's what it was. That's what was required of them. And so this idea is, what does God really want from us? He wants a repentant heart and a humble walk. That's it. You know, we don't need... To think in terms of, I need to do these big, huge things for God. No, it's repentance. It's that quiet thing. It's the repentance of our sins in general. That's the moment of salvation. And it's a repentance of God. I need you today. I have failed you. And I know I grieve you, yet you have saved me. You have washed away my sins. I have, these sins don't have power over me, only what I give them. And so, Lord, break that power in my life. It's that repentance. It's, it's that humbleness. It's saying, I can't do this. I need Jesus more and more in my life. 
And so what does God want? Repentance, a repentful heart, and a humble walk. You can start going through the Old Testament and seeing what God required of the people. It wasn't sacrifices. Yes, that was a part of the code. That was part of the law, but that's not what he desired for them. What he desired was for them to come to him in in repentance and need and recognizing their need. You know, this goes back to, and everything in Matthew builds on the thing before it. And at the beginning of Matthew, in, or in chapter 6, right, we got the, the Lord's Prayer, right? We talked about that. In that prayer, it's all humility. Our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's all humility talk. Give us this day our daily bread. I, I need you, Lord. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. This repentfulness. Lead me not into temptation, but lead, you know, rescue me from the evil one. This, this idea of I need you, God. This humbleness is what Jesus desires from us. And so my, my challenge for you this week is twofold. Um, and you might not deal with one, but you might deal with the other, and it all depends on where you're at. The first one is, are you seeking glamour? Okay? And what I mean by that is the glamour of this world. Am I seeking the things of this world that are like, man, I, I just need that, right? Yeah, the wants. And we talked about the difference between a want and a need, right? Lord, I just want this status symbol. If I have this status symbol, then I'll be happy. And as soon as you get that status symbol, it's, now if I can only get this other status symbol, then I'll be happy. It's a constant, yeah, it's a constant wanting more. Constant going for the next gym. If, we, if we're dealing with that, we need to go into repentance. And we need to say, God, I, I need to repent of this. I need to give it up to you. You've, you've, Save me from it, and yet I continue to go after it. Jesus, take it. Or it could be this. Are you seeking encouragement? I know that everyone needs encouragement. We all need encouragement. But the problem is, is we don't know we, each other need encouragement. Does that make sense? Like when we come into the building, and we say, hey, how are you? And we say, fine. And, you know, the response is fine. How am I to know that you are struggling that you've been hurt this week, that you are in need of something, if all I hear is fine. That's like when, you know, they say the, the typical teenager comes home from school and it's, how was your day? Oh, it was good. And yet they were bullied or they were, you know, they did bad on a test. They feel like an idiot. They, you know, and, but the parent has no idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's also the way they say, yeah, the way they carry themselves. But usually the parent is like, the parent's dealing with other things. They love their child, but there's so many things out. The fine is, okay, they're good. I can move on to something else, right? To some other disaster. You know, the next thing. And we do that with each other when we just say, I'm fine. But we're not. And we need to be more open. Last week we talked about having ministry partners. 
people that can pray for us, pray with us, that can be with us in ministering the gospel. If we haven't had that person yet, if you haven't found that person, you've got to find that person. Seek God, that he would show you, who can I trust that I can confide in about my struggles and my hurts? But we can't keep walking through this, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just, it's fine. If we're not. Let's be honest and open. And that takes a little bit more. The first one is, okay, I'm dealing with this, and I take it to God, and that's where I do it, right? The next one is, I have to take it to one of God's people. And that makes it a little bit harder. Because now it's out in the open. And so, but we need to do this. We need to walk in encouragement. We need to be encouraging each other. We need to be honest with each other. And it's going to be hard. And so, but we have to do it. Now, I don't know. Now, this, is, this last part is complete speculation. Okay? I don't know what happened next with John. His disciples came back. And they must have told him what was going on. If they heard that Jesus had called them the greater, so not, I don't know. But they know that Jesus was showing them, look, these are all the things the Messiah is going to do. You've seen them do it, so go tell John. So I'm sure they went back and said, John, we saw all this stuff going on. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. People were being raised from the dead. It's all really cool stuff. All I know of John's reaction is, a couple chapters later, he's beheaded. That's it. That's all we know. But what I figure happened, now this is the speculation, is he heard that and said, all right, it's worth it. I'm sure he said it just like that. Because he was an English speaker, and he just said it just like that. We need that encouragement, both from the Word of God and from each other. From the power of the Holy Spirit and from the Word of through one of God's people. But we got to be repentant, humble, seeking the family that God's put around us. And if we can do that, we'll be strengthened. We'll still have trouble. Don't, don't get me wrong. One of the things that we have to realize as the people of God, and if we haven't realized it yet, we've got to realize it, that struggle is a part of faith. We don't walk by sight, but we walk with Christ who knows it all. And so I walk by faith. If we can do that, we'll be stronger as a community. We'll be more bold. We'll be more odd that we talked about last week. And people will be pointed back to Christ, which that is the end. That is what we have been called to do. And so be encouraged this week. God cares deeply for you. Whatever you're dealing with, in that least thing, that thing that you think, it's not, really doesn't matter. It does. It's great in the kingdom if you're doing it for Christ who has called you to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your people. I thank you for where they're at, where you've placed them. I know that they struggle. I know that they hurt. 
I know that some of them right now are having victories and their, their lives are doing really well and they are seeing things happen and they are enjoying it. And Lord, I know there are people in here that are struggling just to make it through this, this next 15 minutes because they are hurting physically, financially, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, all those Asians, they are hurting. And so Lord, I just lift them up to you. I thank you and I praise you for those that are doing well and I thank you and praise you for those who are doing poorly because you're in both circumstances. Lord, I ask that you, that you wrap your arms around those who are hurting right now. Bring alongside people that will, that will care deeply for them so that you could be recognized and you could be glorified through even the pain that we have to go through. Lord, I pray for our time that we, we respond now in worship. That our worship would be ever, ever louder. That it would drown out even the angels that are singing to you. Because it comes from a heart that desires to be close to you. That we are repentant and that we are humble before you. Because you are a great and glorious God who has come to us. And you have brought us to yourself through Christ, our Savior. And so, Lord, I thank You so much for all that You do, and all You have done and all You will do, because You are planning and You are carrying out Your plan for when we get to meet in that glorious day on Christ's return. So, Lord, I thank You. It's in Your Son's name I pray. Amen.